everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're talking about the road that we all love to complain about, I-35. <laughs> and why are we talking about I-35? Because our state transportation department, or TxDOT, has put forward plans to expand I-35 throughout the Austin area. And these plans have generated a lot of debate, conversation, and controversy. And you actually have an opportunity right now to share your thoughts on the plan with TxDOT leadership. A virtual public hearing is available online through March 7th, where you can learn more about the project and even give your feedback. And that website for the public hearing is my35capx.com, by the way. So do you want to participate in that hearing, but feel like maybe you need a bit more information first? That is what today's episode is for. First, we're going to hear from TxDOT, and we're going to learn a little bit more about what's actually in the proposal and why they think it's the best option for Austin. Then we're going to hear from Rethink 35, one of the many local organizations that's organizing in opposition to the proposal. And then we're going to close things out by listening in on an interview I recorded with Austin City Council member Jose Chito Vela about his thoughts and what Austinites can do to get more involved in the process. Okay, so there's a lot to cover with this one, so let's just dive right into the interviews now. Uh, first up, let's listen in on an interview I recorded with Brad Wheelis, who's the spokesperson for TxDOT. Okay, I am here with Brad. We're talking about I-35. This is a topic I'm sure a lot of people have heard whispers about, news headlines about, but maybe don't know all the details. So we're going to dive into it a little bit more today. Let's just start from the very beginning, right? So um, how did this entire project get kicked off in the first place? How long has it been going on? How do we get to where we are today? Yeah, so this goes back decades, Amy. Uh, <laughs> so we started planning for I-35 decades ago. Um, there were a number of reasons why it didn't move forward. Funding was one of the major ones. Anytime you're overhauling a major interstate through a downtown area like Austin, it's gonna be really expensive. And so how to pay for this was a, a big issue. Um, but the planning started decades ago because I-35 is outdated. It can't handle the capacity that we have right now. And with the population of the Austin area expected to double by 2045, uh, it's certainly not equipped to handle that level of traffic. So more recently, going back to about 2013 or so, that's when everybody went back to the drawing table and said, hey, let's get serious about this. Is there something we can do? So there was a lot of stakeholder outreach. We started talking to the community. What would you like to see? We know that drivers wanted some relief, but we needed to be sensitive to the surrounding community as well because Austin is built up right along I-35. There's, there's not much right-of-way there to expand a highway. So then we had to get really creative and how do we expand capacity? How do we improve mobility with movements yet not increase the, the right-of-way to the extent that A, we can't afford to purchase that much right-of-way and B, that we don't displace that many people. So fast forward up to the last few years, where our Texas Transportation Commission uh, made this a priority. Uh, the Capital Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, otherwise known as CAMPO, uh, they made it a priority, the, the CapEx projects, and there are three CapEx projects, North, Central, and South. 
We broke ground on South last year. We're going to break ground uh, in a month or so on North. And Central is what we're here talking about because this is right in the heart of Central Austin. Yeah. And can you talk about why it's been broken up into these three parts? Because I know there's been some controversy over that as well. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to do is is we broke ground on South. We wanted to start that project so that we could get as far along as we possibly can before you start building the Central project. That way, the folks who are coming up from the South uh, would have an, an alternate route. They could switch over and and take uh, Ben White to 183 to get north. So there were some, they could go over to Mopac. There were some options for them. So the sooner we start, the sooner we finish. And we know that it's gonna take a while to get the central uh, portion done. And so that's why we started on the south. That's why we're intending to do the same thing on north. And then when central comes along, uh, we, we won't have all three projects under construction for the same link. They all will be under construction at the same time for a period of time, but but not through the entire project. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the um, like current proposed plan that we've got out there. Again, sure. this has been pretty iterative process, right? You've released a few different proposals or plans and then public comments been received and then you've gone back to the looked at them and put out new things. So right now, tell us where we're at at this moment. Okay, so we are at the point now that we are ready for a public hearing uh, so that folks can tell us what they think about the preferred alternative. That is modified build alternative three. And I'll go into that in just a little bit. But to give folks a little bit of history here, if you haven't been following along, we initially started with three alternatives, alt one, alt two, and alt three makes sense, right? Alt-1 involved tunneling. That was going to be very expensive, and we we know how expensive the price tag is now. That was going to be expensive. That was going to require a lot more right-of-way, so it would have included more displacements. And so pretty quickly in the process, we determined that Alternative 1 was not the right alternative. We went with Alternative 2 and Alternative 3. And so we started looking at those and all this while comparing it to the no build option. That means if we did nothing, what would happen to I-35? What would traffic be like in the coming years? Uh, What would safety be like in in the coming years? Uh, So we looked at two and three. We got a lot of public feedback. This is, as you mentioned, been an iterative process. But it's also been a community-driven plan. We've gone out to many stakeholders, talked to 18,000 plus people during this process to get their feedback on what they wanted, what they thought we needed, uh, things that uh, they thought were problem areas or concerns. And so we came up with a modified build alternative three. And we compared that to Alt 2. And now at this point, we've got our draft environmental impact statement. That's a mouthful. But what it is, is a a document that is a a very long document, but it states exactly what we did, how we did it, and how we arrived at Modified Build Alternative 3. So let's briefly kind of go over Modified Build Alternative 3. Yeah. First and foremost, we needed to increase capacity to deal with an influx of more vehicles. Uh, But we wanted to do it in a smart way. If you just added two lanes, 
in each direction and said, okay, we've added more lanes, let it go. It would not mitigate congestion in the way that we think would be noticeable or helpful in the future. We decided to make these two additional lanes we're adding, uh, HOV managed lanes. And what that means is you have to have, and, and the decision on that's not final yet, but at least two people in any given vehicle to travel in those lanes. This becomes transit lanes as well. So the buses, the Cap Metro buses have a reliable route. They can take those managed lanes. Uh, it encourages people to carpool. So if you were driving to downtown Austin for your job, and you always travel alone because you never know if you're going to have to stop somewhere on the way home or you need to run an errand uh, during work or whatever. Um, it encourages those people to find a buddy that either works with you or might work in the downtown area and carpool. Uh, that takes some vehicles off the roadway. That encourages more people uh, per vehicle. And so what you get is you get density within these vehicles, the buses and the carpools. That moves more people in fewer vehicles in those managed lanes. That was a number one goal. And so those, just to talk about where those lanes sure. are, right? So they're going to be, the idea is adding, they'd be like the frontage road. No, they're the inside, the like normal lanes. Talk they about are where the they're inside. So they'll be down there with the main lanes, the free lanes, and they'll okay. be on the inside of the roadway or in the middle toward okay. the median. And there will be certain spots where you can enter those lanes and certain spots where you can exit those lanes. So one of the difficulties in adding managed lanes is you have to have the exits for those lanes as well. So if you were going downtown, and I don't know off the top of my head, but say you're going to exit somewhere for downtown, you need to have a viable exit uh, in the managed lanes so that you're not traveling the length of the corridor in the managed lanes and then going, I, I, I missed my turn. So how do you build an exit that goes up and over those main lanes to get to the frontage road to get to your destination? All of that had to be included in the planning. So there's an exit ramp or an entrance ramp that, that we're adding. Um, and then uh, just adding those HOV lanes, that would mitigate congestion. That would help a long way. But what about all those people that exit off onto the frontage roads and then might need to go through one or two signals to get to the destination? That backs up traffic. You have a lot of people at the signals. So what we've yeah, sometimes it's here, like backed up, you know, just trying to get off the exit, right? It's like you can't even exit. Exactly. The lane. Exactly. I want to come back to that point, too, because you, you bring up a good point about exit. So let's not forget that. But right. but you've got the traffic backed up and in some cases uh, on the on the ramp. Uh, what we decided to do was introduce intersection bypass lanes, a bypass network. So you so you get off of the main lanes. You're not in the traffic of the main lanes, but you're not yet on the frontage road. You're taking these intersection bypass lanes. So that'll let you bypass one or two intersections until you get to the stoplight where you're going to turn. This prevents a lot of that backup. And it also keeps traffic at a minimum on those frontage roads. That is a good thing. Um, that I think people are going to notice a big benefit. So let me go back to your point about those exit ramps. 
One of the problems we have with I-35 is it built in the 60s. We haven't had a significant upgrade since the 1970s when those upper decks were put in, right? And that's been A, an eyesore, uh, something that the community does not like. Those are going to come down in, in preferred alternative three. Uh, but if the, the highway does not meet current design standards. And so what does that mean? That means if we built I-35 today, you wouldn't have those short entrance and exit ramps that we see on the lower deck. That just wouldn't happen. There's it, there's not enough room to accelerate property or mm -hmm. decelerate properly. And so that's something that we will be addressing with modified build alternative three. So it's important that you bring that up. That's a design standard change that uh, will change the way people drive and how they feel. You ever have one of those white knuckle moments when you're trying to accelerate and <laughs> merge into traffic? It's it's not fun, but most of the time traffic is so backed up that you can just slide in because you don't need to accelerate. Right. So, so we hope that that changes and traffic's moving a little faster with modified build alternative three. Okay, uh, so, so I think those, that's the gist. But uh, as I mentioned, the upper decks uh, would would come down, uh, and so you would eliminate the upper decks, and that would open things up. We are lowering the main lanes of I thirty five, so those managed lanes, the main lanes, will be below current ground level. So not an eyesore. If you look out across the highway, you're going to see the the frontage road but you're not going to see all of that traffic on I-35. So you'll have a view of, of the buildings and, and downtown. Um, so that's one of the important things. Also, build uh, modified build alternative three includes a boulevard style section, actually two of them. And this is something different. This is what we've heard back from uh, the community and some of these community groups. Hey, why can't you make it a boulevard? So we went back to the table and said, it's not really feasible to make I-35 a city street because you've got too much traffic. You got 200,000 vehicles per day traveling that area and to put them on a city street just doesn't make sense from an engineering standpoint. But could we offer something that looks more like a boulevard and, and an urban area? And so what we're doing, and I'm gonna use my hands for this, I'm a hand talker, but uh, since we're doing this podcast, the, uh, the way we'll do this boulevard is, is normally you have a frontage road on either side of the highway, right? Picture my face is the highway. Um, and then what we will do is we will move this frontage road over to here. So okay, now so we've the got them side by side. They're, they're side by side and we'll put a median down the middle and the main lanes are down below. And so what this does is gives it more of a boulevard feel and it does have a safety component. So if you were going to cross at, you know, say the University of, of, of Texas, you go to UT Austin, and you're going to cross, right now you would cross at a signal if you're on foot, you would cross a signal at, at the northbound frontage road, then you cross the bridge, and you cross a signal at the southbound frontage road, then you're across. In this case, you would cross one signal at the boulevard, cross both of those roads, and once you get over there, you have no other street to cross. That eliminates conflict points with pedestrians. So one of the other things we're doing, and I don't mean to jump around on you, Amy, but this kind of works hand in hand, those crossings are going to be widened, these east-west crossings. And so they will now have 
a 10 foot, for the most part, 10 foot shared use path for bicycles and pedestrians, and then a 20 foot buffer between that shared use path and the lanes of traffic across the bridge. And so this is yet another safety enhancement to protect our most vulnerable users of the roadway system. And what does that buffer look like? What do you mean by a buffer? So the buffer is, uh, it'll have a curb, and then it could be a, and, and we're, we're working through aesthetics right now, we're still working that out, but the buffer will be no vehicular traffic. So it'll either be grassy, it may have some bollards, it, uh, some sort of design to it. We we want to um, to make this aesthetically pleasing as well. And just last week, I think it was, we held one of our aesthetics meetings and we'll be holding another one coming up in, in the next month or two, where we discuss with the public, what are Austin's values? What's important in Austin? So do we need to do something that aligns with the music scene? Uh, maybe our Hispanic culture, those types of things. How can we incorporate those in these widened east-west crossings so that they're easy on the eyes as well as uh, the safety component that goes along with them? Right. Okay. So the idea is just that you're not having cars like as you are now that are literally whooshing by, you know, they're like, you can you can feel the the wind well, <laughs> against it, your exactly. face when and cars... if you're on the sidewalk and you stumble, right. you could end up in, in a lane of traffic, uh-huh. right? And we want to eliminate that. If you're on the sidewalk, and we hope you don't stumble, but if you do, you fall on the grass, and you're still far away from traffic. And so that's one of the things that we we heard from the public, and that we were able to incorporate in the design. And as I said, we are looking at aesthetics, there might be some shade coverings, there could be um, sculptures, things of that sort there. Um, Those are widened vehicular crossings. Something else that's a possibility uh, that we are looking at are what we call deck plazas or caps and stitches. These cover the main lanes that are lowered and can go several blocks. And this is an opportunity for, for new green space in Austin. So you're covering the highway and then it would be up to the the folks at the city of Austin or downtown Austin Alliance, some of the groups we're working with to determine what they want to put on. So there could be a pavilion where you could have bands there. Uh, there could be a place for food trucks. There Any number of options are up. How do they want to landscape it? All of those things would have to be decided because there's a lot of engineering that goes into deciding how much weight that can carry. Uh, how do you get irrigation to any sort of plantings, whether it's grass or trees? So, so the city of Austin and Downtown Austin Alliance and some other entities, including the University of Texas, are all looking at the possibility. They would pay for those caps, those deck clauses, and they would pay for the whatever goes on top. And if you want to look up, you can Google Clyde Warren Park in Dallas. Uh, That is one that has been completed. It is amazing when you're in the park. And I was up there a couple of weeks ago. You can't hear the traffic underneath. You don't feel a vibration. Uh, it's, It's really, you feel like you're in this park in the middle of downtown Dallas. Mm-hmm. And they have a program there that they have live music, they hold wedding receptions, they have a kids area, they have a new water fountain feature that that uh, the water plays with the music, goes along with the music. So they've got a lot there, plus a restaurant on site. Um, and then food trucks come by every day and park there with a permit 
and folks can go up, get their food, and, and people travel from all around the Dallas area to attend that. So that is that is an option, and we have a couple of locations where those can be placed. And so we have our third-party partners looking into those deck plazas. That could change the landscape, literally, of downtown Austin if those caps are put in. Right, and the idea here would be that the city or perhaps UT would... Uh, and maybe downtown Austin Alliance, if there's some private funding that needs to go right. into it, help fund those tops. But that tax dot would work with them in order to do the engineering that would need to happen kind of below ground in order to allow a cap to be built. Or I assume some amount of construction might have to happen simultaneously or you need to exactly. plan for these so, things in advance. You can't just slap the cap on top after the highway is is done. Right. Retrofitting a cap would be so intensive uh from a labor construction standpoint right that it's best to do this ahead of time and if we do it ahead of time it doesn't mean that the cap needs to go on as soon as we're done you know so if they need more time to raise money for what goes on top or the actual cap uh, that can be done at a later date but um but we need to know do you have the seed money do you want to move forward with this so that we can incorporate in our design a feel for what they want to build so that we can build for the load capacity. And there are other considerations like fire suppression, ventilation, all of those things that most people don't think about. They think you slap a cap on and and you just move forward. But but there are a lot of safety components that go in there. Where do you drain? If if you are going to have irrigation for plants, where does that drain to? Uh, All of those sorts of things. How do you access this? And by the way, if if we do uh, see caps here in downtown Austin, you would then be able to uh, cross into those caps, uh, say at UT, you would go directly out of UT now where there's a frontage road. There wouldn't be a frontage road. You'd walk right out into the cap. It's almost like the front yard for UT. Uh, The same could be said for the other cap that would be like a city of Austin, downtown Austin Alliance, uh, public-private partnership partnership. uh, so it might be on the other side and folks could walk directly out there from the from the east side. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about traffic. I'm sure this is something, sure. a question you you get asked a lot, but, you know, there's this concept of induced demand, right? And people, there's, you know, there have been studies that show when you build a new highway, you know, the intent is let's reduce traffic perhaps, but then, and it does for a few years, but then people change their behavior, they get on the highway, traffic doesn't, you know, traffic is just as bad as it was to start. So, you know, I've I've heard from a lot of folks in Austin who, who point to studies like those and say, why are we doing this in the first place? Like, it's not going to work. Why are we putting money into something like this? What, yeah, so, how, what's your uh, approach to that? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we can't build our way out of congestion, right? Uh, we, we, we just, we can't do that. That's That's been proven. So we need a multi-pronged approach. And that is, we need more people to take transit. Uh, we need to make it more accessible for people who might want to ride their bikes or walk to work. Those are people who are in the downtown area, other users of the highway besides automobiles. And we need to be smart about how we build. So I mentioned the intersection bypass lanes. I mentioned the HOV lanes. Those are ways to move more traffic and move it more efficiently that will help mitigate this congestion. I can't tell you we're going to build a highway that you're gonna be able to get in your car, 
and fly through downtown Austin and not encounter other vehicles because that's not even the goal. Uh, but when you talk about induced demand, there's there's latent demand as well. And that's what we see on I-35. We saw this down in, in Oak Hill where we're building the Oak Hill Parkway. And one of the things that happens is when a roadway reaches capacity and people say, this is this is too much. I can't take it. It uh, you know, drives me crazy to drive I-35. I'm going another route. So what are those other routes? Well, in some cases, if you need to get around the city, you could take SH-130, right? If you're going from, let's say, Dallas to San Antonio, get on SH-130 and you bypass it all, you have no headaches, hopefully. Uh, if you are, you, you know, might be able to take MOPAC. What we see a lot of folks do is then get on the city grid. And so maybe they live uh, up north, but they say, okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the city streets down to where I need to go. That puts more demand on the city streets that were not built for that capacity either. That demand also is interacting with buses. And so buses are stuck in traffic. They're also interacting with bicyclists and pedestrians. So you have more vehicles inter interacting with them at intersections, which anytime you have interactions between vehicles and pedestrians or bicycles, uh, you have a potential conflict point. And so the fewer those interactions, the better. And so you, I, I, I'm not sure if this analogy will work, but if you have a river and its tributaries and you clog up the river, you start to see the water go out to the tributaries, the little streams and creeks. Well, the water builds up in those tributaries that are not designed to handle that, and you start to see some flooding. When you open up that river to more water, then you start to see the levels go back to normal in those tributaries, and, and obviously that water is traveling down the river. And in this case, I-35's the river. So when we build this, Will we see more vehicles on I-35? We will, because some of those people that have, ha have found other options on the city grid are going to get back onto I-35, where they should have been in the first place, but they're, they're overloading the city grid because they felt they had no other option. In Oak Hill, I'll give that as an example because we're working on that project now, people, there were some people that just said, I'm not driving 290. Uh, it's a parking lot. So they started taking neighborhood streets. And if you talk to the neighbors that live on those streets, they were concerned for children who were walking to school or had to go catch the bus uh, or wanted to ride their bicycles. Now you have way more vehicles on, on that city grid rather than on the textile highway where they should be. And so when we finish that project, you will see those folks migrate back to 290. What we're what we're planning on doing here is building a highway looking 20 years out and looking at the demand that, that we might see and how can we best mitigate congestion, improve mobility, and improve safety for all users of the highway. And we feel that build modified modify build alternative three is the best plan to do that. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe this is the same question, but you know, I, I've talked to some folks who feel like 
maybe they like some aspects of this plan, right? They like that it's thinking about sinking it below grade and removing the upper decks, but they question why add the extra lanes, right? That's kind of seems to be some, one of the bigger sticking points here is I would love to see I-35 uh, buried a little bit, but I don't understand why we need to add the extra lanes and displace some of those businesses. What's sure. kind of Vintech's response to that one? Right. So um, we have approximately 200,000 vehicles that traverse I-35 every day in the downtown Austin area, central Austin. 80% of those vehicles, either the trip starts, ends, or has a stop in that corridor. So that means that 80% we're going to call local traffic because they're stopping somewhere in, in the heart of it. With the population expected to double 45, well, you know they're going to be driving at some point because upwards of 90 to 93% of people who get around Austin do so by personal vehicle. And so, you know, if you're going to make a paradigm shift, something major has to happen. You've got to, you've got to increase uh, mass transit in such a way that people will use it uh, or, or something else has, has to give. But right now, it's TxDOT's responsibility to address the people who, who use the highway the most. And, and that's 90% of the people who are getting around Austin are using their, their personal vehicles. So we know that the demand is there now, 200,000 vehicles, and we know that more demand is on the way. So while you can't build your way out of congestion, you can make smart improvements, expand capacity to accommodate for those, those vehicles. What's there now cannot meet the demand as is and even bearing the roadway. That takes the, the, the sight line away, but it does nothing for mobility. And if you take away the upper decks, you're reducing capacity. And so you have to pick that up somewhere as well. So we talked about the uh, the 200,000 people or 200,000 vehicles, I should say, not people, vehicles that, that, that travel I-35 in downtown Austin. 80% of that is local traffic. So let's say we take 20% away and we convince them to take SH-130 or Mopac or some other route. We still have 160,000 vehicles that are using I-35 on a daily basis. So even at 160, we're still way over capacity. Uh, so you still need some sort of uh, enhancement of capacity, some expansion there. What and about with the blue line coming? Still, with, still. So what about with like the blue line or some of Austin's Project Connect projects that are coming down? Right. And, and and that's another good point. So what we're doing and and we're doing this at um, at Riverside and I think up there near airport is we are working with Cap Metro Project Connect so that we integrate those rail lines. And one of the things we're doing is uh, making sure that, you know, how the, the rail line now uh, is at ground level for the frontage road. And so when the train passes, uh, traffic stops. We are putting that up on a bridge that would go over 35 so that the trains go right through and they're not interrupting traffic. That will keep frontage road traffic moving 
as well. So we are working very closely with Cap Metro, Project Connect to make sure that those transit lines uh, that are not only existing today, but the future lines are incorporated in this project so that, that we can we can handle the, the mass transit. And, mm-hmm. and that's really important. Also making sure that those HOV lanes are reliable routes for the buses. So if you have a reliable route and you know that you're going to jump on a bus and in 20 minutes you can get from point A to point B down the highway, you're more likely to take that bus. If you know you're going to take that bus and get stuck in traffic on 35, then you exit, you're stuck in traffic on the frontage road, then you start moving through the city streets. That is a disincentive. There's there's no incentive there for people to take the bus because they say it just takes too long. I could get there, you know, some other way, or I'd rather be in my own car. What's what's the incentive? We're hoping to incentivize the buses by making them more reliable. And that was Brad Wheelis with TechStop. Oh, and in case you were wondering, the latest iteration of TechStop's plans includes the displacement of 107 homes and businesses which is less than some earlier plans, but it's still definitely some displacement. And another thing to note here about what Brad mentioned about dividing the I-35 project into three parts, this is actually being challenged in the courts by a coalition of environmental slash advocacy organizations. Here's a quote from a press release they put out, quote, the lawsuit that Texperg, Environment Texas, and Rethink 35 filed in June against TxDOT alleges that splitting its massive I-35 Capital Express expansion project into three parts is an unlawful attempt to skirt public engagement and environmental impact assessment requirements. The plaintiffs are calling for TxDOT to restart the entire project and build a proposal from the ground up with community members at the center of discussions, end quote. Now that lawsuit is ongoing and TxDOT has not paused any of its plans for construction, so we don't really have a lot of additional info to share on the lawsuit for right now. But in the meantime, I wanted to bring in Adam Greenfield, who is the executive director of Rethink 35, which is one of those organizations participating in the lawsuit. And Adam and Rethink 35 have long been opposed to any expansion of I-35 for a whole host of reasons, which we're going to talk about now. Okay, so let's go ahead and get to that interview with Adam Greenfield. Okay, I'm here with Adam. Uh, We're talking I-35. Let's start at the beginning a little bit here. So um, you, I know, are someone who's been pretty engaged in a lot of like transportation sort of things in Austin for a while. Let's just give people real quick your background. Like, how did you end up getting involved in this I-35 conversation? I am a uh, local transportation and built environment community organizer, which is kind of unusual title. (laughs) Um, But it basically means that I I see the path to change through um, getting the community involved with conversations around how we design the world around us. And bringing in new voices and harnessing community power is how you bring about real change. Um, and so, you know, I, I am active in, I, I, I have seen that. And I think many of us have that the way we design our environment has profound impacts on, um, whether or not we know our neighbors, how we get around, how healthy we are, how happy are, 
we are, how many relationships we have, um, whether we feel good or not so good, um, just moving around the city. And so that certainly impacts things like access to public space, how fast we send vehicles down our street, whether or not people take transit, walk, bike, or get the bus, and uh, whether we, um, uh, whether we, what we do about highways. And it, it came to, I think, uh, three or four years ago, it came to be very uh, clear to me that highways through cities have had a profound impact on the way we live. Um, not only in how we choose to get around, but the quality of life of of people who live and work um, near highways, who use highways, um, health, carbon emissions, how much sprawl there is, is influenced by how much we build and expand highways. Um, there's, you know, a very, very strong, clear connection between urban freeways and systemic racism and inequity and it just it goes on and on and on and uh as the conversation around what to do with i-35 started to become more and more prevalent i started to see a real uh for myself an existential aspect to this where we are in a climate crisis where we're also killing dozens and dozens of people and seriously injuring dozens and dozens of people every year in Austin city limits, a quarter of which happen on I-35. And we just cannot keep expanding highways. And so I, you know, living four blocks from I-35, I can hear I-35 in bed at night. I hear it 24 hours a day in my house. And I knew that I, I had to get involved and do something. Yeah. So, so let's talk about highways in general really quick. You know, I think there's a growing movement in this country that is starting to question and look at highways and the way they've been developed through cities and really trying to shed some light on some of the history um, of how these highways were developed. Austin is no different, you know, really, like you mentioned, um, tied to, you know, our racist uh, planning and policy of the past. And I guess, you, you know, you you hit on them really quick there, but but just to quickly refresh that point, um, what are some of the problems with I-35 as it exists now, even without talking about expanding it? Yeah, I-35 is often referred to as a scar through Austin, but it's more accurately actually referred to as a wound uh, because it's something that very much continues to impact uh, the the people of Central Texas to this day. And there's there's a couple of key aspects to that. One is, is how we get around. It induces driving. Um, so it really doesn't give people the choice to get around in a way other than driving. And a recent survey showed that 55% of Austinites would rather get around in a way other than driving. Um, the uh, air pollution around I-35 is, is bad. Um, studies have shown that people who live within about 500 meters of a highway can have long-term health impacts 
related to the highway. And actually, a good friend of mine has a young son who got asthma from living close to I-35. A quarter of anyone who's killed in Austin city limits in a vehicular incident is killed on I-35. Usually a rule of thumb is about five times that number have life-changing injuries. Uh, And, you know, so there are people out there every week who will never be the same again uh, because of something that happened to them on I-35. And then, of course, you think of the friends and the family and the community around those hundreds of people who are killed and seriously injured on I-35 every year. And it's a profound number of people. Um, beyond that, you're just talk- you're talking a very, very unpleasant uh, ex- experience. It's, it's horrible to be on I-35. Everyone hates driving on I-35. Many people avoid it entirely and will take other routes to get around town. Uh, the constant noise and nuisance of I-35 is very real to, to thousands and thousands of people. Um, and then, you know, the, the, it just it just goes on and on and on. Uh, transportation is one of the biggest sources of carbon emissions in central Texas. Um, I-35 is, is responsible for a good amount of that. Uh, we are seeing increased uh, suburban sprawl development. Suburban sprawl is a profoundly uh, economically unsustainable habitat but uh and a habitat that isolates people from each other which is a, a a immensely harmful thing to do to humans and then of course there is the environmental impact of of that too right and so you know we're talking about here TechSTOT, uh you know the texas department of transportation comes out several different proposals they've been worked on a little bit but the the main picture here is it involves some level of expansion of i-35 the removal of the upper decks Um, i think a lot of people have heard the news about some buildings and businesses might have to be knocked down in order to um, accommodate this expansion and and you know there's a whole bunch of like nitty-gritty differences between, you know, X proposal, Y proposal that they've been talking about. But it seems to me that regardless of all of those little details, you have a problem with like the larger just concept of this, right? The idea that we would be doing any kind of expansion project to our highway. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, The thing that everyone, the basic fact that, that everyone needs to understand and an increasing number of people do understand, and, and this is a very good thing uh, that people understand this, which is very simple. Expanding highways does not work, period. Uh, if you're trying to relieve congestion by expanding a highway, it actually makes it worse. And we saw this with the Katy Freeway in Houston when that was widened in 2011 to 26 lanes. Congestion at, at evening rush hour got 55% worse. And the reason is, is because when you widen highways, more people drive. And not only do more people drive, but you've now created a more complex environment with people changing lanes more often. Um, And also, you know, then piling out onto local roads. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. It will make traffic worse. And TechStop knows this. The the you know they they claim not to, but they very much do. And if you think about the the you know the corporate corporate entities that are pushing it, 
widening highways stimulates demand for the products that they sell. So a small number of people benefit from highway expansions, but the rest of us and ultimately all of humanity loses. So this is very much a time to question um to question highways going through our most valuable land, the center of our cities. Um, it's also a time to question, is this really the best way to uh, accomplish the many needs uh, we have as a society? And it is not. Right. And so let's talk about um, some of the alternatives Rethink 35 has put out there, right? So um Let's run through them. I know a, a big piece of it is is thinking about perhaps reimagining I-35 as a boulevard. So kind of going the opposite approach from TechSot, which is thinking about expanding it, you got, you're kind of thinking, what if we go the other direction and kind of bring it back a little bit to what it used to be? It used to be, I guess it was called East Boulevard, right? East Avenue. East Avenue, East Avenue. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some of the alternative ideas here. Yeah. Well, I should just say it's very important to point out that that Rethink 35 is um, ultimately pushing for the public to have choice mm. with with what we do for I-35. We have a proposal that we want seriously studied. We want a range of proposals to be seriously studied, um, not just ours, but we want the public to really understand the ramifications of which path we take. Techstar has not done that study. They did a, a sham study of, of Rethink 35 and another proposal, Reconnect Austin. It was, it was they they had about a month uh to do to study both. You could spend many times that that length of time just studying one of the proposals. So it wasn't a good faith uh study. Uh so first of all, we want a range of, of options studied. The option that we have been pushing to be studied is to first of all you better use existing highways for non-local traffic so let's make better use of what we have before we start building new stuff and when we think about that we look very quickly to a highway many people might know which is sh130 um which was explicitly built for non-local traffic to go around town and not through it um, and actually, during a toll-free phase of that highway, when it first opened, the trucks did go that way. Uh, truckers do not want to go through Central Austin. And then tolls were put on the highway, and it, 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 there was, you know, the decisions were made, and the trucks came back through Austin. So let's really look at that highway and how we can have that as the interstate facility. Um, and then at that point. There is no need for a duplicative interstate facility to go through the center of our most valuable land, through the center of Austin. And at that point, we can really rethink that right of way as something other than an interstate highway. And Rethink 35 has this rendering of a, of a, of a boulevard-like environment. Uh, but that's just, a, that's just to give people a flavor of the kind of proposal we might be talking about. But we are we want... The community to lead the conversation about how what we do with that right of way. Yeah, and so you know, one last question on this. I know you said you're you're hoping for more research, but I'm sure you get asked this question a lot. Do you feel like it is realistic that we could imagine a world where I-35 could be more like a boulevard? I think it sounds so tantalizing to people. Like, wow, that would be like you can imagine it. Like, wow, that'd be awesome. And then you're like, where would that traffic go? Like, do you think from what you've seen so far that it 
it is plausible at least that it could actually go to these other highways outside of our cities and bypassing it? Or like, do you have good data or at least preliminary research on this? This is absolutely possible. Uh, In fact, we live in a world where cities are already doing this kind of stuff and actually have been for some decades. Um, Portland removed a major highway through its across its waterfront in the 1970s. San Francisco removed um, the Embarcadero Freeway in the 1990s. Um, Rochester, New York removed part of its inner loop highway. They saw a tenfold return on investment within five years. Now they're moving to remove the rest of the inner loop. And cities across the country right now are talking about removing their freeways through the center city and converting them to boulevards. And I should point out, if all we care about is moving people through Austin, an interstate highway is a very, very poor way to do it. It does not move as many people as we could with a boulevard with dedicated space for congestion-free transportation options such as uh, public transportation, walking and biking. The automobile is a, is a is has a lot of flexibility in terms of your routes, but it scales up very poorly as a form of mass transportation because it's so space inefficient. In fact, it's the most space inefficient form of ground transportation ever created. And so, our estimates are that a boulevard with uh, bus lanes, bike lanes, sidewalks. And some space for cars would actually move two to three times the number of people that I-35 does today. So let's talk about cap and stitch for a little bit. This is sort of emerged as a little bit, I think it's fair to say maybe a compromise proposal um, and a thought that Texas has thrown out there about, okay, hey, we'll kind of bear... Mm, I guess, I don't know if Barry's our word, but lower I-35 through downtown Austin, that section that goes through our downtown, and then kind of enable the city, if they want to raise the money, to cap some portions of I-35. So there's kind of more park space, more boulevard, you know, more green space on top, and kind of help to bridge that scar a bit. That's the idea. I know that Rethink 35 is not a big, uh, like, you don't love this idea, but let's talk about it. Why why do you have concerns? Because I think you know, I think it could sound, it seems like, okay, here we go. We're, we're coming up with a compromise. Why do you feel like it's still not the way to go? It's not a compromise at all. The fundamental basis is a major highway expansion. That hasn't changed one iota. Um, TxDOT is saying we can pay ourselves to add some, you know, bells and whistles on top of the highway expansion. But let's just remember underneath any caps and stitches what is going on existential climate change you can't just wave that away this is a humanity threatening development plus car dependency pollution crashes induced sprawl and so forth so this is not good enough at all for the people of austin or the people of central texas and frankly it's used as a wedge to try and divide the opposition to the expansion, but it's not working. And Rethink 35 is standing absolutely firm on this issue that we will not be distracted by trinkets like cap and stitch when underneath it is an existential crisis of a highway expansion. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about what happens next, because this part is a little confusing to me 
we we have TxDOT. They've put out these, you know, they have their latest plan. There's going to be a public hearing. Who is the ultimate decision maker here and what can actually be done, you know, to stop it? If you're someone who's opposed to this expansion of I-35, what can actually be done and what's Rethink 35 doing? Okay. Well, you know who is the ultimate decision maker? We are. The Ostensibly, it's TxDOT. Uh, but TxDOT decided a long time ago that they want to expand the highway and their senior officials are very were very frank about that. And what they're going through with this public process is just a box ticking exercise. There was never serious consideration of doing anything, anything else than expanding the highway. However, if the local decision makers, Austin City Council, Travis County, uh, our local metropolitan planning organization, Campo, uh, if, if we all unified in opposition to this expansion, it would be very difficult for TxDOT um, politically to keep going. And that would make it easier for us to then bring in the federal government um, and so forth. And so ultimately, it's up to all of us. And the reason why many people have noticed a change in how, you know, council members are talking about this, a change in how the media is covering this is because um, Rethink 35 volunteers and others have gone out there and knocked on doors and written to candidates and gone to candidate forums, spoken to the media, posted on social media and done a hundred other actions that have percolated up more and more and more and added to this pool of resistance against what TxDOT is doing. And, and there is a sense now that this big lumbering ship that is our collective response to TxDOT's proposal is starting to turn. Um, and we have a long way to go and success is not guaranteed, absolutely. But I think we can all see that there has been a change. And let me just say, this is not a battle of people who want to make money versus people who don't care about making money. If all you care about is money, and we absolutely should care about the local economy and about jobs, uh, we're almost certainly leaving billions of dollars on the table by expanding I-35 and, and losing that tax-producing land, that productive land, and, and all the costs of crashes and pollution and health impacts. And we're almost certainly losing billions of dollars by not doing an alternative such as the Rethink 35 proposal, which would add land, uh, tax productive land, and would reduce the cost of crashes and health impacts and climate change and, and provide more jobs. So this really should be a win-win for, for everybody. We just need to make the case and get enough people on board. And that was Adam Greenfield with Rethink 35. And so what does City Council think about the future of I-35? And what has been their response to groups like Rethink 35? To gain more insight into these questions, we're going to close out the episode by listening in on an interview I recorded with Austin City Council member Jose Chito Vela, who represents District 4, which includes parts of I-35 and is located in north slash east Austin. And when I spoke to Council Member Vela, he said that on the positive side, TxDOT has moved a lot in response to public and city feedback in terms of its plans for I-35. He also said that he's really excited about the idea of caps and stitches covering I-35, but would like to see them extend as far north as possible, 
possibly all the way up to 53rd Street. And right now, the plans really only call for caps in the downtown area. Um, here's a quote from the council member. Quote, They have moved substantially, but we are not, in my opinion, at the point where this is a plan I'm ready to support. I want to see the entire section either capped or at least built with the idea that we are going to cap it. End quote. So in my conversation with Councilmember Vela, I also asked him what he thinks about the Rethink 35 proposal and concerns from people like Adam Greenfield that going for the cap and stitch idea isn't really a good compromise for the city because it still includes some degree of highway expansion. And here's what he had to say. I get it. And, and honestly, I, I think there's some very strong arguments that the highway should not be expanded at all. And, and one of them being the vehicle count on I-35. Uh, you know, I-35 in, in the year 2000 had about you know 200,000 vehicles per day uh, driving on it. And uh, today there's about 200,000 vehicles per day <laughs> driving on it. But, you know, the, the, it's kind of at a saturation point and I don't see the need to expand the capacity of I-35, you know, I, especially with light rail going in, especially with, you know, telecommuting and work from home. In Austin in particular, we're one of the cities with the highest rates of, you know, telecommuting, you know, work from home. I don't see the compelling need to expand the highway. I really would like to kind of start from scratch and and you know reimagine what we can do with the highway that said it, it, this is not a city project you know this is not one where i can say we're going to start from scratch this is a state project and we have limited control and influence over the project my fear would be that, you know, if we just try to kind of, you know, throw up our hands and, and say stop, that it would ultimately be futile. And then we would be getting you know, the, the, the current plan. What I'd like to do is work with TxDOT to make those, you know, additional changes that would greatly improve the urban fabric around the highway that would just reinvigorate you know, the, that entire stretch of, uh, of highway frontage property, you know, from Cesar Chavez like, all the way to as far north as we can take it. I, I know that 290, there's some natural and, and really engineering barriers when you get, you know, far north, like the, uh, the on and off ramps from 290, you know, the, we can't, I mean, we could honestly redesign the entire intersection, but Realistically speaking, I don't think that TechStop is going to go to that, go for that. So I, I think that there's a, you know, probably between somewhere between 51st and 290 is kind of the a natural kind of stopping point for bearing the highway. And after that, it's probably just going to have to come up and be kind of a, a normal, you know, highway again. Um, but if we can heal that urban fabric, cap the entire highway, and then add additional east-west connections. I think we would do so much for Austin, so much for the quality of life of Austin residents in that area. Mm -hmm. And can you explain a little bit for the public? Because I think this is confusion, confusing, like city council's actual role here. <laughs> like if city council were to say tomorrow, 
we hate this plan. We unanimously have voted. We hate this plan, TechSot. Could TechSot still just build it anyway, even though city council says no? Or is that unclear? Like, where are we at with that? They could build it. Um, this is state land. The state has a power of, of eminent domain. They have the power to seize any additional land that they need for a highway project. They have the money to do it. Uh, I don't think that the, the feds are going to stop them. They, they're working with us. They've listened to us. Uh, but if we were to dig in our heels and just say, we absolutely do not want this, we don't have kind of a kill switch, you know, for the project. They can say, okay, thank you very much. You know, we know you don't want it, but the freeway serves more than just Austin. You know, the freeway has both a a national and for that matter, an international role to play. And they could fundamentally, you know, brush aside our concerns and and build whatever they want. Uh, That's my fear. You know, then that's my fear that if we just take a hard line, no uh, against them, that, we could potentially lose the opportunity to improve the project. Uh, right, so, because this um, is Rethink 35 and some of these community groups, kind of what they've been pushing for is, hey, we want to just, like you're talking about, start from zero. Like, can we turn I-35 back into a boulevard? Can we reroute traffic other places? All these things that it seems like TechSot is not really willing to play ball on. Like, is is that kind of what where you feel like you're stuck at, you know what I mean? Like, I'm wondering like how you counter or, or talk to activists who are really concerned or like, why don't we do this? Yeah. I mean, I, I tell them honestly, just about what I, I just told you. Uh, and I, I think the, the, the rethink 35 idea is, is great. Honestly. Uh, I want 30 and that's not, I want 30, what is SH SH one thirty, right? The, uh-huh. the, uh, you know, to redirect traffic that way around Austin and then Boulevard, you know, the actual I-35 so that we can, you know, just, you know, like, like they say, rethink I-35 and the role that it plays in our city, kind of return to the old kind of East Avenue style, you know, boulevard. Uh, I think that idea has a lot of merit to it. Uh, I think it's a fundamentally a, a, a very good idea. Uh, unfortunately, I also think it is uh, it for it. Uh, and, you know, that that's, uh, you know, it, it's a tough situation. Uh, we have a limited amount of time. And I will say also that I'm watching this happen around the state. Uh, El Paso, uh, I-10 uh, had a plan to uh, widen uh, I-10 in the downtown El Paso. There was a significant, significant opposition to that. Uh, and ultimately, you know, TechSot got its way and they are uh, going to you know, move forward with the project that, that they want and not necessarily the, the project that the, that the community wants. Uh, in I-45 in Houston, it was a very similar situation where there is a big expansion uh, planned for I-45 and, and Harris County uh, was opposed to it. And uh, ultimately, there was a lawsuit involved and there was some kind of settlement, but uh, I believe that Techstart got, you know, ultimately most of uh, of what it wanted out of uh, that also. So when I look around the state and I look at other, you know, places, cities that have picked that fight with Techstart, you know, I don't see any victories. And, and that really does kind of give me pause. 
Yeah. And then ostensibly, if we were able to go forward with these cap and stitches and and cap a lot of the highway, that would probably have to involve some level of bond funding, possibly a bond election at, at some point, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. You know, it would involve a bond election, very likely involve a bond election, and it very uh, possibly would also involve some kind of uh, uh, a TIF, uh, you know, a tax uh, increment financing, I believe is, is what that uh, stands for. And basically, we would have create a special zone around I-35 of those properties that would uh, greatly benefit from the caps. And so the, the basically the increase in value on those properties uh, would then go to pay for the improvements to uh, the, you know, to I-35 would essentially go to pay for, you know, the, the, the caps. Uh, so the, say we, I think we would have to cobble together a number of funding mechanisms to make it happen. Um, you know, thankfully, Austin is doing really well financially right now. We strong economic growth, you know, uh, very, very low unemployment, uh, sales tax numbers continue to come back strong. Um, So we do have this opportunity to invest in our community. And again, we only get to do this. This is a once in a, in a lifetime. I mean, people always say that, but I mean, this is literally like, I mean, Texas only going to do a massive rebuild like this of a major urban highway, you know, once every 50, 60 years or so. Uh, and so this is a unique opportunity and we've got to lay the foundation for uh, the future of Austin. Um, you know, the, the caps, I don't know what the city is going to look like 40, 50 years from now, you know, but if we can cap, the freeway, it, that just opens up so many future opportunities to use the land. We could potentially build buildings on the land. We could do, you know, a lot of different things on the land. Like I said, we're not necessarily going to do all that now, but I want to plan to, to lay the groundwork for future city councils to build, you know, a, a beautiful and, and vibrant Austin that, that we can all enjoy, that we can all benefit from not one that is divided by, you know, a, 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 you know, an ugly highway where we just see the cars kind of zooming by and we deal with the emissions. And I mean, it, it's right now, it's not a, a good state of affairs. Um, and it's, it's such a unique opportunity. I just really want to make sure to, uh, to take advantage of it. And that was Austin City Council member Cheeto Vela. And that's the last of our interviews for today. But remember, there's still an opportunity for you to get involved in this process. Again, you have through March 7th to participate in TechStot's virtual public hearing on my35capex.com. And Brad Wheelis from TechStot, he actually said that the comments you leave there, they really do matter. After the hearing is over, TechSot staff will group related comments, questions, ideas together and respond to them publicly online. He also said that TechSot staff will first look at those ideas and see if they can be feasibly implemented, like financially, engineering-wise, that's what they'll look at. And if they can, they could actually end up in the final plan. According to Brad, that's how things like removing the upper decks got added to this plan. And if you're looking for even more ways to get involved, emailing your city council member about your thoughts on I-35 always a good idea. And if you'd like to get more involved with Rethink 35, they're always looking for volunteers. Just visit rethink35.com and click on their Get Involved tab. And that's pretty much our show today. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. 
You can learn more about The Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. And Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based right here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Stansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin, so thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. Thanks for listening.